0: Well, good evening, everybody. It's Sunday night, and we gather Sunday night. Thank you for joining us. Middle of a series, well, past the middle. We're actually wrapping up a series on repentance. Knowing why is good. Knowing how is even better This is part seven. There'll be uh, part seven, and then next Sunday night, part eight. We'll finish it next Sunday night. So it'll be eight weeks on the subject of repentance. Tonight, repentance, building a highway for the glory of God. And I want to look at Matthew chapter three, the first six verses. We've been reading this quite a bit. And then we'll look at Isaiah chapter 40. So Matthew chapter three, the first six verses. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, quote, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Verse 4, now John wore Camel's hair, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey. And then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. So lots of people going out to John. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now look at Isaiah 40. This is the passage that Matthew refers to in his gospel, Isaiah 40, verses 3, 4, and 5. A voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's where I got the title. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain shall be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough Places, a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Great text. This is the seventh message in our series on the subject of repentance. We're looking at repentance as it relates to believers, followers of Christ. If you've never come to know saving life in Christ, God the Son, who died on the cross for your sins and rose from the grave, then you need to experience what the Bible calls repentance unto life. That's Acts eleven eighteen. 18. Because in spite of all your best efforts, you might be a very nice person, but without the work of the Spirit of God, you are, according to Ephesians 2, 1, and 5, dead in trespasses and sins. And that simply means you... You you can't help yourself to become right with God. Just like the rest of us in this church, you need to acknowledge your need of Jesus Christ, who died as the Lamb of God to take away the guilt of your sin and give you eternal life. I hope you do that. But repentance isn't just for the unsaved. That's the whole point we're making in this series. And it's never just a one-time experience like a divine get-out-of-jail-free card. We've already looked back at the very beginning of this series, the meaning of that word repentance in the New Testament, metaneo. Meta meaning after or following and noeo, to, to perceive with the mind, to understand with the mind. So repentance is what you do after you come to understand with your mind what the Spirit of God is saying to your heart. My sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And the ongoing nature of repentance in, in today's text is further, uh, described, portrayed by John as he quotes the prophet Isaiah. And he says it's, it's the process like of building a highway. That, that phrase is actually used. Constructing a highway, building, preparing the way for the Lord. That was John the Baptist's role to get people ready for Jesus. And and John is particularly concerned about the religious people of his day. He called the religious leaders when they came for baptism, he called those people a brood of vipers. That they were were so prone to make excuses. We have Abraham as our father. And to justify their lack of, of getting ready, confessing their sins, getting ready for the glory of the Lord. And it's, it's because, because of this, John saw the particular relevance of the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah predicts the coming of John. And, and he, he called people to this process, set in motion, getting their lives ready for what God wanted to do in their hearts through the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so John has this burden toward the Pharisees and the Sadducees as they came to him for his baptism of repentance. What I want to do uh, tonight and next Sunday night, there are two concepts. I think they're found in Isaiah's words first and fulfilled in John the Baptist. Two key concepts. John, he picks them up. And he calls the crowd, particularly the religious crowd, to a fresh application of Isaiah's prophetic words to their hearts. Here are the two concepts. Confrontation, they're both C words. They're not in the text, but I think they describe what we want to look at. Confrontation and construction. So what we're going to do, just so you know, we're going to do confrontation tonight. And I have just one point one main point and a few sub points and next week we'll look at construction as we wrap up this series on repentance so so point number 1 confrontation and the confrontation comes not only in the content of the message we'll see that but the confrontation comes even in the style of the messenger and and what i mean is this there's there's not just a message for these religious leaders but there's a particular kind of messenger. In this case, the messenger is John the Baptist. And I, I deliberately wanted you to refocus again on how the messenger, John the Baptist, how Matthew describes him. It's in 3, uh, 1, and then 4 and 5. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And you'd think that'd be enough. That's all we really need to know. But it's not all that we get. Look at verses four and five. John wore a garment of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, his food was locusts and wild honey. And then all Jerusalem, all Judea, and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And what I'd like you to do when we were confrontation, look at John. He's he's rough, he's uncultured kind of crude, certainly off the wall, quirky. And and he, and he's not offering lectures at the local temple. He's way out in the wilderness, he's probably filthy. He's got bad teeth. He's got knotted long hair. And it would be like it would be like a call coming to us at Cedar View. A call to us today to really come back to God. And the call began like this. There's a, there's an old man, a scraggy, scraggy looking man with matted hair. He's about 90 miles north of North Bay. He lives out in the woods in a little lean to. He's filthy. But that's, that's the man that we need to go see in terms of repenting for our sins. I mean, that's just weird. That's the process God was using in the last of a long line of prophets sent to call his people to get ready, to prepare a way for the coming glory of the Lord in their lives. And so, and so I think we need to come to terms with a fundamental question about this whole plan. Why? Why, oh, why does God choose a guy like John the Baptist? Would that be your pick? So is this just a fluke of biblical history, or does Father God have a plan that isn't just accidental? Does the messenger picture kind of fit in, lead into the kind of repentance God wants to call these religious leaders to? And I think it does. I think the description of John the Baptist is almost as a, an important a part of the repentance process for these people as the message itself. John wasn't coming to atheists. He, he's He's calling out to people who had received the Ten Commandments, who had just that morning gone to the temple and offered their sacrifice. Those are the people John is speaking to. In fact, he's, he's screaming out very blunt words of repentance to those religious leaders that brood of vipers as he identified them. Those, those people who had just that morning signed receiving orders for a fresh delivery of sheep who had just arrived for that day's sacrifices. These were people who observed the Passover. In other words, as you look at John, you're looking at God's method for speaking to those who thought they already knew well enough on their own what religion was about, what holiness was about, what pleasing God was all about. Those are the people John is addressing. And I think confrontation, remember? I think that's why John comes on the scene the way he does. So so, so the first... The first process in preparing a highway for the coming glory of God is confrontation. And that's, that's what John does. John by himself. There's something about him that immediately just jolts, jars all of our preconceptions about how religion ought to look and feel. Perhaps, perhaps even how God ought to speak to people such as we. So, here's lesson number one about how God wants to work when He wants to call people like, people like I to ongoing humility and repentance. When God, when a loving God wants to call religious people to repentance, He almost always begins when He deals with religious people. He almost always begins with an element, at least an element of confrontation, or to put it in the terms of Isaiah's text, confrontation always, in in some measure, confrontation always precedes construction. Now, think about this for a minute, because confrontation is not the way God typically begins his dealings with unsaved people when he calls them to repentance. Look at Romans 2, verse 4. Paul says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? And I know that's not just describing unsaved people. I'm simply saying that in this age of grace, which will one day come to an end, God, at least frequently, woos, draws the lost with kindness and patience. He makes his rain fall on the just and the unjust. But but when he deals with those who are in the know, who know they're in the know, those who have had so much religion they're almost almost religiously callous like that wayside soil. Those who with those kinds of people, he usually begins not just with gentleness, but with a measure of confrontation. We need to expect that. And here's why I think that is so. Here's why for people who know some element of confrontation usually precedes the process of construction. People um, steeped in religion can very easily tend to settle in their faith i think that that happens to all of us we we naturally tend over time to walk almost conveniently before the lord I'm not saying we do it intentionally i'm saying it happens we, we know what we know pretty well we live better than many outside the church We hear much about love and peace and grace, and that's good. But there's hardly a modern worship course with the words wrath or judgment. Those concepts get kind of shoveled down to the bottom of the list. And there's something else. Another reason why I think an element of confrontation usually precedes kingdom construction in our lives There's there's this built-in problem with much of the, at least the North American religious scene, and that is the the sheer bulk and variety of of religious input that we encounter in our day. It's almost overwhelming. I mean, the variety of styles and forms and settings in which the message of the kingdom of God can come to us, it's staggering. And, And here's the thing. Because that's the case, everything is offered up to us on our own terms. And that might be a great plus for evangelism, but I think it's a big minus for discipleship. I think it's a plus for evangelism because people with all styles and stripes of backgrounds, they can be reached quicker than ever before with the message of Jesus in a form they can relate to, they can understand but I think it's a great minus for discipleship because with the the overload of the packages in which Christianity is available, I can always I can always hear the message in the way I want to hear it. I can almost get what I want for my Christian input on my own terms. Think about it. I mean, we're living in an age, I'm speaking now primarily of North American Christianity, we live in an age where it's it's packaged and served up according to a lot of market-driven analysis. I have my favorite authors. They suit my taste. I don't have to read those who don't suit my taste. I get to program my own music according to my taste. I can watch religious programming, TV, YouTube. I have my favorite religious broadcasts. I have the stars that I like and the ones I don't care for. And if a religious broadcast doesn't suit my taste, I, just, I can just switch channels. Or If I go to church where they sing too loud or stand too much or preach too long or don't clap or jump as much as I like, or pray. they make them pray in groups, or people raise their hands, or they talk about money too much, or they talk about it not enough, well, then I can just change churches. There's all sorts of them out there. And I'll probably find one that is exactly the way I like it. The point of this is, we're thinking now confrontation with John the Baptist. I can find what I want on my terms. And believe it or not, I I think... That's a challenging atmosphere for making strong disciples. We just get so terribly accustomed to walking in a faith that is tailored to our likings. I can find a church where I don't have to endure anything that isn't to my tastes. We get so unaccustomed to being confronted with a John the Baptist type of call to repentance so it's just it's just i'm not trying to be negative here i'm simply saying it's increasingly easy to maintain the workings of my faith without ever being pressed pushed confronted into deeper and maybe even uncomfortable levels of maturity in my walk with Jesus that perhaps is one of the great dangers in the modern North American church scene. It it gets increasingly easy to just to refuse to grow up. It's increasingly easy to just consider different options when we feel challenged and stretched. I can just kind of pinball my way through my Christian life, bouncing from one option to another. Listen, I think, in a measure, that's what John the Baptist is all about. He, he just won't let these people change channels. Even these religious leaders, he won't give them anything on their terms. He doesn't pamper them. I think, I think I need to reconsider the important place John the Baptist has. I need to see him, um, in all of his repulsive glory as God's way of saying to me, Don, you don't you don't get to define the terms on which you follow me in this world. I define the terms. I'm not making a big deal over just a little thing in the scriptures maybe I need to explain that a bit when you look for this idea this confrontation idea and how it relates to repentance it's it's repeated over and over in different places in the scriptures. Here's, here it is in the words of Jesus himself, talking about what I've been talking to you about. Matthew 11, 7 to 10. And as they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. Okay, so we've been looking at John the Baptist. Confrontation. Now, Jesus, he's speaking to the crowds and he's talking to them about John the Baptist. Same subject. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? He's making them think about this. What did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Remember, this is Jesus talking. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. And he he won't let this go. What did you go out to see? Third time, he says this. A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, behold. Now we're going to talk about Isaiah. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. All right. So. Here's Jesus talking to his the crowd about John the Baptist three times. He, he makes it clear that there's a reason John the Baptist comes on the scene the way he comes on the scene. And, and we see Jesus once again affirming John's unique role in preparing the way. Jesus says that in verse 10. Preparing the way for the coming Christ, the Messiah. But there's a problem. Jesus indicates in the way he asked that question three times, what did you go out to see? That that the people weren't ready for the kind of person and the kind of message and the kind of repentance John was calling them to. And And so Jesus, he presses this issue. Imagine Jesus, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, and he says to this crowd, what in the world were you thinking? What did you expect in terms of getting ready for my coming? Did you think John would just be blowing in whatever direction the wind came, that he would just cater to your wishes? Did you did you think he would just say what you like to have said? Is that what you think my kingdom call is all about? Is that how you think my kingdom will come? That's Jesus talking about John the Baptist and repentance. Now, if even those words aren't enough, You can see the Apostle Paul talking about the very same subject, only Paul presses down into the future to a time he he didn't see yet, but that was coming for the church. And he's still talking about the same problem. 2 Timothy 4 1 to 4. Paul writes and says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ. He's talking to Timothy, this young pastor. I charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the Word, be ready in season and out of season reprove rebuke so there's that there's that John the Baptist kind of thing, and exhort with complete patience and teaching for the for the time is coming why does why is Timothy going to need patience well. The time is coming, Paul's he sees this down the road, when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. They will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I mean, those are those are really striking words and sad words. Do, do, we, do we start to see the fulfillment of this in the church today? People, says Paul, of a day he can't fully see, but probably in which we live, they'll have a hard time seriously coming to terms with biblical truth. That's what he says. But it won't be because they're, They're slow or just mentally obtuse. The problem is the teaching won't accommodate their desires. That's the problem. And then he says something even more striking, and this is just a John the Baptist thing. These people, people who profess faith in Jesus Christ, okay, people who call Jesus Lord, people who go to church, when they find Teaching that won't fit with their present desires. Rather than change their hearts, they'll change teachers. That's what he says. And so John the Baptist has a message for such times. Confrontation is what we're looking at tonight. Construction of a highway for God next Sunday night. But the message from John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, Forget your style choices. Forget your preferences. Forget your tastes. Forget your likes. Forget your dislikes. Those aren't the important things. Just just prepare the way of the Lord. It isn't about you. It's about the Lord. And I, you know, I just think about myself. You put the hit, put the hit on the last part of that command. Prepare the way of The Lord, even that term, Lord, even that term gets, it can easily get deflated through just its repetitive use. I often wonder if it wouldn't be a good idea just once in a while to declare a moratorium, maybe for a month on the use of the word Lord in the church. I mean, praise the Lord, glory to the Lord. Isn't the Lord good? I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Lord, 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 Lord. And, and all the while, Luke 6, 46, Jesus, I get a picture of Jesus coming to his people saying, why, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? That's Jesus. That's Jesus doing the John the Baptist confrontation. What kind of lordship do you think I require? Do you think words and songs, slogans, is, is, is that enough? And then, and then Jesus says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father. I want you, as we wrap up, it's it's a challenging, confrontation is always a challenging message. It's a challenging one to teach. It's a challenging one to receive. But I want you to remember and put this in context. Confrontation always precedes construction. But be careful you don't hear this incorrectly. The application of this is freeing. It's not condemning. This isn't a negative thing. It's, it's, A gracious God's way of preparing our hearts, not for a mean, cruel dictator, but for the Holy Spirit's reconstruction of a life. Building a highway for all that God wants to bring in. That's what a highway does. The confronting voice of the Spirit of God. It only comes to my my too complacent heart to begin construction of something glorious. Something that will bear the weight of God's future glory in parts of my life that just might not be ready for it right now. Repentance brings fresh glory of the Lord. Confrontation, receive it so that there can be the construction. Of all that God wants to build into our lives, into our church. And everyone said, Amen. Let's pray. It takes, it takes your Holy Spirit's wisdom to hear the word with seriousness, but not with condemnation. To, to see the preparatory phase of confrontation. Letting, letting truth settle uncomfortably if need be into areas where you want to construct something of future glory in our lives. We just love your word. We love studying it and, and, and help it to be, help it to be, even tonight, food that can be fed upon that will bring your glorious grace to all its full potential in all our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, church. Stay in the word. Love one another. Join us for our prayer time now.